This is the MLW Radio Network. It's time to start your day the right way with front row material. Starring ECW legends Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whipwreck. Now, let's welcome your host, Mike Freeland. Did you say I do or I do? Because I haven't had dinner yet and I'm quite hungry. I like I do too. Ajou's good. Is that a is that a French thing, or is that a, an American thing? Uh, I'm gonna make it sound French. Arby's. I feel like I'm really classy when I go to. Arby's. No, that's fucking Arby's. Why? That's not, no, that's fucking bullshit. Dude. That's like from a, like a gallon jug that's that they fin- just eat up. That's the only Ajou that I know. Hey guys, when I was a kid, I worked at Arby's, and let me tell you, it was disgusting. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There it is. It, it didn't even look like meat. It was like a clump of something ah. they they put together and they cut it really thin and that's what you got. Well, I guess you know what the rabbit's ah. out of the bag here. Let me. Uh, oh God, there's so much to talk about this. What? Did he worked at uh, Arby's? Didn't every kid work at a fast food place when they were a kid? I did. I, I, I did worked not. at a pizza place. I was a grocery store guy, so I was high class. I was an upscale pizza place. Oh, there you go. I was making ten dollars an hour as a seventeen-year-old kid, thinking I was rich. <laughs> I was working like sixty hours a week. I was like, "Oh, you made six hundred bucks." I'm like, "I'm set for life." Oh yeah. <laughs> Mikey also worked at Kmart too, didn't you, Mikey? In the garden department, I believe, was it right? The garden shop, yes, sir. The is garden it? shop. That so diazinon the- and everything else. That's why I'm <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Kmart is the most gloomiest place I've ever been into. Are they still uh, around? They're done, right? There's a couple now. There's one by me yet, and there's always oh. like two people in there. Mm. One of them's 87 years old, looking for the blue light special. <laughs> oh Jesus! Wow. Well, you didn't like my background today. No, I like your background. I haven't commented on it yet, but I'm going to. I like it. That's the uh, what's the what's the show with the the creepy guy? He uh, went Blue's to college. Clues. Blues Clues. Rue McClanahan. I'm a Golden Girls person, so yeah. R.J. City would love it. Really? Is he a Blues Clues fan or a uh, no, Golden Girls? Clanahan, Golden Girls. Then you know what? That's my guy. Then all I'm right. all things Golden Girls. Sounds good. Welcome to another episode that of sucked. that sucked. Front Let's row material. Let's try it again. What's wrong with it? Like, welcome. <clears throat> okay. All right. Your, your all right. I'll try it again. We have a guest. You got to be on your best behavior. I do. I do. All right. Let me try this again. You ready? Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. I am your host. My name is Mike Friel, and I'm joined by the ECW legend, Mr. Mikey Underdog Whipwreck, and a special guest with us, Mr. Danny Daniels from AAW is joining us, also an ECW alum. How you doing tonight, buddy? Oh, I'm great. How are you guys doing? He only we, came uh, off. You thought Jerry was going to be here. We oh. are. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry is... Uh, Jerry is uh, Jerry's doing the Tony Schiavone thing. He's on assignment, which mm. yeah, I'm not sure what he's doing. He's, he's been doing a be lot on the road of road for ten days. Jesus, leading up to the big pay per view. Yeah, well, he's leaving. He's leaving tomorrow. Right. They have the production meeting tomorrow night, and then you no know, TV, and then instead of flying home, he's sticking around. 
for the pay-per-view. Wow. And then after the pay-per-view, he's sticking around for TV next week. So he's he's going old school on the road for him. 10 days. Look at him. <laughs> He'll probably be calling me. I do remember those late-night conversations with Jerry from his hotel room, Mikey. Yeah. He'll call up and go, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> be like, I'm just kind of sitting here. He's like, got some MeTV on right now. I'm like, oh my god, am I talking to am I talking to superstar Jerry Linner and talking to my mom? What is going on here? Both. Gosh, but big episode this week. Uh, Dan Daniels, it, it's so good to hear your voice. I think you and I have corresponded back and forth uh, numerous times, mm-hmm. but it's neat to uh, to have you on our show and to hear some of your experiences about your wrestling career and then how this whole thing with AAW started. So you, you did some time in EC Dub. So tell me a little bit about, let's kind of start off there. How did that all start? Who contacted who? And, and what was it like being in ECW? I kind, of uh, spaced out. I kind of spaced out and I heard you did some time. I did, yeah, <laughs> I did some time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like back then you did the, you did the tag arounds. And if they liked you, they, I don't know, did something with you. And at the time I, I didn't have the confidence to go, but my buddy persuaded me to go. And after we did the tag arounds, they're like, Hey kid, can you bump? Like, I can do whatever you want. They're like, all right, throw it on the ref shirt and go be a referee for or do a promo and bump for Jerry Lynn tonight. And that was my first night in. And afterwards, they they had me on getting bumped every night by Jerry Lynn or wrestling every once in a while or doing ring crew, whatever. But whatever I was doing, they paid me whatever they paid ring crew. 50 bucks, a- 50 bucks a night. I was gonna yeah, say something like fifty bucks. Hot dog it was fifty and a Coke. bucks. No, it was fifty bucks. <laughs> they give towards the towards the end. It was the guys who were on the nightlies that were and getting that, paid. Well, that's all it was. It was you. You got fifty bucks on your nightly, and you got twenty five dollars on your check because we were paid seventy five. We never got the check, so but I didn't care. It was a fucking mark. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, fifty bucks, great. Wow. Now I was. Uh, I do another segment here for front row material. We it's called overbooked, and we're covering the unauthorized story of ECW. So I'm, I'm going through this book here. It's a really fascinating book. And Mike, I also want to throw this out to you. Was 911, was he on the ring crew at one point? No, but he would get the ring in because uh, it was Ted Petty's ring. Rock okay. Rock. Right. And Al would bring it in and drive it in. So he wasn't necessarily on the ring crew per se. Right. But he was kind of driving it around in the beginning. Okay. So technically no, but kind of. Back then, and I'm curious, back then, when you started, Mikey, did they let indie guys in to, like, do the tag rounds? Was that a thing back then? Not really. They just, oh. uh, we would get in because we were doing the, you know, the ring crew. So we would kind of get in and mess around after the ring was yeah. done. And, you know, you could just kind of show up. And when Paul, he was at the point he was squashes for TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he'd, he'd bring some local guys in. You know, some guys from Long Island would come in or the Northeast. And they would just come in and just do jobs. Like we had Dwayne Gillen at one point take a choke slash for 911, which to me was great because I'm like, I know Dwayne Gill. Of course you do. Everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's one of those, you know, it's just if you showed up, you got on, you know, you weren't on the. Because we would do the the main big show on a Friday night, the arena show. And then we would do TV in the arena Saturday. uh, Saturday. Uh huh. Um, And the big show, well, well, the big show would get. Uh, you know, the crowd, and then for TV, we'd have to beg people to come in in the beginning, offer them beer and hot dogs. I was going to say, was that a buy one, get one free, or what? No, but you'd get, like, beer and hot dogs just to get people in, because we would really, literally, we would draw 100, 150 people for the TV tapings. Right. 
And then Paul said, this is a waste of time. Let's just put all the arena shows, all those matches on TV. And he kind of got away from the job matches. And then uh, WWF, EF at the time, and then WCW started putting competitive matches on TV all the time. So yet another thing stolen. <laughs> that might not be accurate, but I'm going to say that. Hey, like Bobby Heenan says, never let facts get in the way of telling a good story. Right? Absolutely. Indeed. Wow. Danny, let me ask you this. So mm-hmm. obviously you're in ECW and it's it's a little different. Would you agree? It's not your atypical promotion. No, you... it, it, it was terrifying when I when I got there. I was I was there for a half year and I was terrified every night, you know, but that's you got these guys. And again, I, I was I was fairly new in the business and these guys that I watched on TV and I got plugged in. I got lucky somehow and. I was terrified every night, and it was the Wild West. You had one locker room. These guys were, you know, getting all fucked up in one locker room. You had the ring crew guys. You had other it – was, it, was, it was different, you know, but I was just a terrified kid, you know. And I was quiet and polite and just did what I was told. What do you think, in your opinion, separated ECW from the other promotions at the time? I know a lot of people say – you know, Paul was cutting edge with knowing what was going to be trendy as far as music, as far as sports, stuff like that. But what do you think? Was it the violence? Was it is there anything in particular? Or do you think, you know, what? it was kind of a hodgepodge of everything? Uh, what I took from it and I watched every night. I always thought that when I, my time there is I watched every show. I think those shows were based on crowd reaction, which is great. That's the number one thing you want when you run a wrestling show is you want to cater to your audience where. I think WCW and WWF at the time, they put out their product and that's what they put out. They didn't cater to what people wanted or what got over, what didn't get over. I felt that the shows changed nightly or weekly depending on, all right, this guy's getting over. Let's let's do something here. It was just a roller coaster of emotions. It was, I don't know, just the vibe of the those shows were, they were tremendous. You know, again, I, I learned so much just by watching the flow of the show how the opener ran, how it, it dipped a little bit. It, it peaked for the semi, it peaked for intermission. It dipped, it went back up. It was like going to a rock concert, how they, they spaced out their songs. I, like, I think a wrestling show should be booked like a rock concert. Very similar, you know, quick opener, dip, go up, intermission, or fuck, what the fuck do they call uh, when, when the band comes back out? The encore. The encore. The encore. Yeah, same thing. They come back with the encore. They blow it up, you know, very similar. So let me ask you this. Do you think, you know, obviously we're going to down the road here in our conversation, we're going to talk about AAW, but do you feel like the Danny Daniels back in ECW, do you feel like there was a lot that you learned from your time there, learned from the way Paul was doing things, just kind of soaked it all up and just kind of registered that or locked it away for you know, the use of what you do now and say, man, you know, it was a, a wild period, but man, was that useful? Like, again, like that's how I learned how to structure a show by watching TVs, by watching the house shows. I, I learned how to put together a show just for, nobody told me how to do it just by watching the crowd emotion. And again, the, the way I didn't deal with Paul a lot because Paul was only there when I was there. Tommy was running the house shows. Uh, Paul was there for, the pay-per-views, TVs, and that was it. I didn't have too much interaction with him. I, I did a couple times, obviously, but it was it was mostly just keeping quiet and listening to the guys talk, and that's how you learned. And 
And when you're young, shut up, don't ruffle any feathers and do what you're told. Do you feel like nowadays, and this kind of goes both to you guys, Mikey and uh, and Danny, do you feel like the etiquette when you observe people now, wrestlers nowadays, there's a little bit more arrogance or do you think that there still is that proper etiquette with when you walk into a locker room knowing how to handle yourself and how to ingratiate yourself or do you feel like eh, that might slowly be going away? Go ahead, Mikey, if you want to go. Um, For me, it's it's kind of still there. Like the guys will see me, they'll kind of know who I am, and they'll either they'll avoid me like the plague, because they're intimidated for whatever reason, or they'll come up and say hello and they'll talk my ear off. So there's really like no in between, for me. Um, and you can tell some of the kids, I, I've come to change my view on the old handshake thing. Uh, but you can tell some of the kids that come up and they say hello. They were trained old school, uh, and you can see some of the kids who were trained without that old school mentality and they kind of just i wouldn't say blow you off but they don't you know you're just another guy in the locker room it's changing Uh, yeah but i i think like i feel like the handshake is never going to come back but i i truly feel like the handshake is something that was out of respect you went up you went up to a promoter and you shook his hand and he didn't have to put you on but you shook his hand and you told him thank you for putting me on Thank you for picking me to be on your show. Uh, as a promoter, I shake all the talent, all their hands when they come in, and I thank them for putting their bodies on the line for my promotion. I, I think it's out of respect, and, and you shake a peer's hand. I, I believe in the handshake, but I understand now why that why it's going to go away. But I don't know. I'm going to have a lot of hand sanitizer when we come back and <laughs> a lot a lot of wipes and a lot of all that other bullshit and hand out the masks and everything like that. But I don't know. I just think I think the guys are different now. I think if they drive more than five hours, they're going to complain. You know, everybody wants to fly. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's different now. And, and going back to when I worked ECW, I lived in Chicago. I drove wherever the shows were by myself. I was the only guy from the Midwest doing the shows i got in my car i remember one road trip i drove 24 hours one way by myself wow just to do a show and 24 back i had to be at work you know uh monday morning at five o'clock you know so you do the friday saturday shots you drive 24 hours and i i gotta be at work at 5 a.m most people are not doing that now fuck fuck no and and if if they're gonna drive they're gonna say hey can you put three of my buddies in the car And, and i get it I get it, it, but it's different now. And now there's more opportunities for guys to make a better payday than there even was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, nobody was making money, I don't think, on the indies. No. Now now everybody's so exposed, and there's a lot of super indies or a lot of guys putting giving out contracts that a guy who's been working two years, he can get 150 bucks, whatever, and trans. You know, back then, you were still traveling for 20 bucks. So the mentality is different now. What would you say as far as the wrestling schools? You know, Mikey and I have talked about this before, especially when we talked about ECW's training school and how Paul put, you know, Taz in in charge of it. And Mikey, you worked there as well. And Perry Saturn worked there. Do you feel like there's a lot of guys who open up schools nowadays and you look at them and you go, wait a minute. I don't think you're in any place to be opening up a training school. That's been the case for years. That's been the mm-hmm. case for 10, 15 years. Uh, back when I got trained, I went to Al Snow School in 97. 
And my thought was, I'm going to pick the schools out that the guys are on TV or have connections. So it was either Dean Malenko's in Florida, Al Snow's in Ohio. I forgot who else were. I, I called Body uh, the Monster Factory, but that guy was a fucking dick on the phone. Wh- which school did you call? The, the Monster Factory? The, the Monster Factory. Factory. <laughs> yeah. Wow, so Look, tell me about your experience with I'm the Monster Factory. Enough with the speech impediment. We have a guest. <laughs> Mikey, Mikey, uh, Mikey often quotes the Monster Factory, and uh, yes, we are we are familiar with it. So tell me one a little night, bit about one night. I couldn't say Monster Factory. <laughs> he came out here, the Monster Factory. Oh Jesus! I know. Uh, I love it. The gist was, I met King Kong Bundy as a mark at an autograph show. Uh, he sold me. I'm like, hey, I want to get in this. How do I go about it? He sold me a, a fucking book, and it was terrible. And it was it was a book on how to be a pro wrestler with it was him and uh, pretty boy Larry uh, Sharp, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's him. Yes. So it was mostly about fucking hygiene, and I said, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> so this book is about me fucking wearing deodorant. I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" There's a lot of people that didn't read that book, apparently. I guess not. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So I call I call the Monster Factory. I'm like. Hey, I'm interested. And then he goes, well, did you get my book? I said, yeah, it's about fucking hygiene. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't swear at him, but I'm like, it's about hygiene. I'm like, I didn't learn anything. I'm like, I'm interested in learning. He's like, well, you know, we're a high. And I, at the time I never heard of the guy and you know, he just constantly put himself over and I'm like, okay, this isn't for me. And then I ended up going to Al Snow's and you know, away I went. That is fantastic. Like, but now, yeah, now it's different. Crazy. Now every fucking Tom, Dick, and Harry can have a ring and charge a couple grand. But there's still a lot of good places around the area to go get trained, you know. That was uh, always my struggle with when I would do seminars. Yeah. If I was doing a seminar for a school and it became obvious that these kids had no idea what they were doing, it became very difficult for me because I didn't want to go out there and just bash their trainer. But at the same time, you want to look, you guys have no idea what the fuck you're doing. This is terrible technique. And it's not going to get you any further than this room. So that's, I would struggle doing that, those seminars, because if you, you never knew what you're walking into. But you sometimes know, you know you're doing all right. You said, okay, well, I'm going to go do one for you, or I do one for uh, Excite up in Binghamton or something like that. You know, you're going to be all right. If you touched one kid out of that class, though, and one kid realized, you know what? I'm wasting my money giving this guy my money and I'm going to go to a reputable school. I don't know. I I think it's worth it for you to be outspoken and, and tell the guys it's like, Hey, you're wasting not only your health by taking all these bumps, all your money and uh, your dream, your so-called dream, you know, by fucking being here. So do the research, get a reputable trainer and then fucking then go for it. Don't, don't fucking just go, Hey, this guy's a half Half hour down the road, I'm gonna go there. That that, that isn't gonna get you anywhere. Yeah, that's why I, I was trying to find a nice tactful way to show these guys every little technique that I'm doing and showing them is different than they were taught. And I always explain to them why I do it a certain way. I said, you know, you guys always have the choice. You do whatever you want. I said, but I'm just telling you from experience that I have, this is how it's gonna be. And like I said, sometimes if you touch that one person. You know, and there are some kids I've said I've seen that I, you know I see them months later and they said, oh Mike, you coming to the school was like either the greatest thing for the school because they they got somebody in who knew how to train people, some experienced people, 
or is the worst thing for the school because then nobody ever wanted to come back. Well, good for that fucking trainer who was ripping everybody off. Fuck him. Yeah. I don't mean I don't mean to be rude, but he shouldn't have been taking people's money in the first place. No, it's true. Because you see so many. I'm going, how long are you working? Oh, they're like eight months. And I'm going, you've yeah. wasted eight months right. of your life. You can't even bump correctly. Now, you said you went to Al Snow School in Lima, Ohio. And yeah. were you there? I'm trying to think here from a time frame perspective. Were you there after Meany was there? Or were you there? No, was, I, yeah, was, I, I was after Meany. Meany. You were after Meany, yeah. I was 97. Meany was already in ECW by 95, 96. Right. So he must have came through around 93, 94. The conversations I had with him is he spoke glowingly about it. I mean, he's had a lot of respect for Al, and I think oh, a lot of people, a lot of people love Al Snow. I feel like he's one of those guys, he's not going to bullshit you. Yeah, you know what? And mine wasn't, by the time I got there, he was in ECW, and it was a different experience when I was there. He would train us. We were trained by a different guy Monday and Fridays who he had running the school, and we were trained by him Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And it was fine. The training was fine, but what I had the issue with was after you were done training, it was like, okay, you're on your own. It's like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, where, where do we go now? He goes, just use my name. I said, Al, but we don't even know where to go. And I felt that we, he, he got paid and he did a service, but I felt when you go to a trainer, it's their, I, I think it's their priority or it, it should be part of it that, okay, here's five promotions, you know, give them a call, say, hey, or I got you work. Uh, I don't think, I don't know. I, I, I just felt like he left this stranded afterwards. And when I started training, I started training guys in 04. I bought a goddamn company to let them fucking work. Yep. I, I took them to shows with me. It's like, hey, I'm working here. And I know he couldn't because he was an ECW at the time. But he could have made a couple calls and go, hey, I got my next, my next batch of kids. Take a look at them. You don't have to pay them. Put them on the opening match. Again, when I trained people, I took them to shows I was on. And I just told the promoter, you don't have to pay them. You paid my trans. Just throw them on. They'll work for free. And then it's up to them to make or break it. And I just, I, I didn't, I didn't feel Al took care of us in that way. I just felt like he took our money. He trained us and goes, okay, get out the door. Next class. Right. And how invaluable is that though? I mean, even if you're not even going to get paid when you are either still training or recently graduated, whatever it may be to get that experience to not only, you know, go into a locker room and sit with people who have done this for a while, you know, maybe soak in some of it, you know, get some experience as well. That in itself is, is invaluable enough. Would you agree? Absolutely. Why do you deserve to get paid at, at the beginning? First off, you're not making the card better because you're not very good and you're not drawing anybody in. So what gives you the right to think that you're owed anything? You're, you're not. I just took it as thank you for putting me on your show. And I'll be back next month. I think Al made a comment. He said something to the extent of during a shoot interview. And I don't know if it was with Hannibal or not, but he said, have you done anything to move ticket sales? If Have you done anything to help this show garner more people in the door? Or make and, it better. Exactly. So, I mean, I get it from the standpoint of, you know, everybody claims they want to get paid and whatnot. But there is a certain portion of you that there's an apprenticeship where you need to figure out what's going on, hone your craft, and go from there. But 
I mean, I can also see the flip side where people, you know, you're a starving artist. You know, I mean, wrestling is, is difficult. I, I could never do it. I don't think I have the, the intuition, the guts, whatever you want to call it, to stick it out. But it's it's tough from a financial standpoint. Yeah. When I started, I had a job Monday through Thursday that paid me well. I bartended. I waited tables. I did whatever I had to. And then I would go to every show that my friends were on. And I was just so thankful that the promoter let me in the back or put me on. And then, you know, or gave me an opportunity. Whatever it may be, I was just grateful to be there. So during your early years in wrestling, was there anybody that kind of took you under their wing or anybody who gave you some good advice and didn't blow smoke up your ass and said, hey, you know, I like you. This is what I want to tell you, X, Y, Z. Anybody like that stand out? No, at first it wasn't. It was just a bunch of all, all the Al Snow kids just going from town to town and trying to make each other better and critiquing our own matches. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing. So I get to ECW and I'm three years in or two and a half, two and a half years in and I get there and it's Joey Matthews. It's Christian York. It's fucking easy money. It's fucking all these guys are fucking ripping it up and they're fairly young guys. And I'm like, and I, I thought my stuff was solid, but these guys were creative and I don't know. It's, I felt like I wasted the first two and a half years of my career until I got there. And then it, my eyes opened up to what I should be doing. How many times is this, Mikey, that it's just like college or anything else? You can go to school, and it, and, it, and it helps you, but it's all in theory, meaning you're not really going to know what it's like until you actually get out there and start doing it, and then, ah, oh, I get it. This is what's really going on. Do you feel like that's kind of the case when it comes to wrestling, specifically with, with how your career was? Yeah, you have to do it, and you're going you're gonna to get it in bunches. Like, you'll be out there doing something. All of a sudden, you'll be like, ah, okay. And then you've learned your thing for the day. You know, and then you'll go working for a couple of weeks, and then you'll be doing something else with somebody, and you go, ah, I get it. And little by little, you kind of start to put things together in a real-world environment, uh, which is why when I, I train my kids within YWC, I wouldn't let them work anywhere else for a while. Like, they would they would just train with us. And then when they were ready to start working matches, I'd get them on the NYWC shows and I'd let them work in a controlled environment where I would control the creative. I would control, you know, anything that might be potentially dangerous or out of their league and let them work with some of the other indie guys we were bringing in. And they'd learn that way. So they learned how a wrestling show should be run and the environment they should be in. And then when I said, OK, guys, start branching out, you know, I say, if you need my help, let me know. You know, and then sometimes they say, oh, you know, so I put my I put the word out for guys. But usually by that point, their kind of name would get out there a little bit and say, oh, you know, oh, you work for NYWC. Oh, Mikey's kids. Oh, OK. And then you kind of it gets them in the door a little bit. But but they learn what the environment should be. They learn how to handle themselves, you know, because we bring some some names in every now and then, you know, so they learn how to act in front of the names. They learn how to act in front of everybody. And, and it just became their learning experience. It's just a. a uh, an add-on to their training, you know. So then, when they started going to other shows, they knew when they were on a place that was a drizzling shits, and they knew they'd never want to go back because they weren't getting quality opponents or it was run poorly, and it was just uncomfortable. Or they're working for you know uh, a company that's you know reputable, and get them in. So that, I did it that way. I didn't necessarily say here go work. I kind of kept them under my wing for a while, and then when the time was right, I kind of let them go. Let me ask you this, Danny. So you're working in ECW, 
and you're seeing some of the guys that you trained with and they're doing different things. People are starting to spread their wings and whatnot. When did you decide that, okay, I get it. I understand what's going on, but I think it might be time for me to kind of segue into maybe something different. So what kind of got the refereeing thing going? They just told me to wear a shirt. I had no idea. I, uh, I had nice. no idea what I was doing. And uh, I remember the first like four weeks I was just doing angles and I was getting bumped. And I remember Sandman yelling at me in a match because you think you know what, what you're supposed to do as a ref. Or like at, you watch, but you're not really watching. When you're a wrestler, you think of your own things to do. When you're even you're watching as a fan, you're not paying attention to the ref at all. So when they throw me out there, I'm doing a tag match, and I fuck up a spot where Sandman, you know, the fucking, uh, the heel baits the fucking baby face. The baby face comes in trying to fucking j- jump the heel, and you got, and the ref has to cut the fucking baby face off. And he goes, ref, what the fuck are you doing? I said, I have no idea what the fuck I am doing out here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I had, they just threw me out there. I think I refereed maybe four shows when a referee couldn't make it or something like that. I was strictly the guy out there to fuck with Jerry Lynn or fuck with New Jack or whatever they had me do for the evening. But I rarely refereed and I I was terrible at it, you know, but whatever. I I did whatever they asked me. You know what? I'll tell you what. I did a fucking RBD match and C.W. Anderson. I've never been more blown up in my fucking life. (laughs) Get up and down. and, And at the time I was on the gas. I was 185. I was pretty fucking lean. And uh, fuck, was I blown up? At, and I didn't even take the bumps, but just getting up and down, up and down. I'm like, fuck. And I was nervous, too. <laughs> when ECW, we had uh, Jim Molino and John Finnegan. And they were great referees. And they were the guys that were doing the shows. You know, They were primarily them. I mean, later on, you had Keener and, and guys like that. Yeah, I was, I was there with the Keener. I was there with those guys, but I was normally on the road with Keener and Loke and right. that crew. Right. But earlier... 94, 95, it was primarily just Jim Molino and, and John Finnegan. And Pee Wee would come in with Sabu every now and then. You'd have a guest, you know, like they, had, they have a friend Huck that would come in every now and then. But primarily it was those two guys. And I thought they were good referees, and they are good referees. But then we had Fonzie in. And I had a match with Fonzie. I think it was me and Dreamer versus Stevie and Raven or something, maybe something like that. But Holy fuck the difference with Fonzie as a referee. You could tell that the man was a top referee for WWE and things like that. It was like, holy shit. And I never thought anything of it. You know what I mean? John and Jim, oh, they, you know, they, they had spots. They did them right. They always in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Never got in the way. But then you had Fonzie. It was just like, he's calling your spots and he's telling you what's coming next. And I'm like, holy shit. I didn't have to think at all. He knew everything. If you have a good referee, he can, when you're, captured in the moment a referee can tell you hey the crowd's a little down pick it up you know uh yell at the crowd whatever it may be he can help you if you have a quality referee and he's also your third guy in there where you can tell spots to without being near your opponent so like like you said mikey a a great referee can help you immensely in a match he was he would do stuff like he'd be counting like one two don't forget to kick out daddy and you kick out he goes okay now go do this and i'm like Holy shit, he's, he's calling the whole fucking match for us. Was he there when you called the match, or he just would call yeah. spots, were, no, spots for he, you? No, okay. 
he, he what's going on? He kind of watches go over the match a couple times. You know what I mean? Or he just watch it once. Like, okay. Like, he kind of had an idea what was going on. Mm. And he was just, it was it was mind-blowing to have a referee like that. Like, holy fuck, this was amazing. You know, going back and, and watching things on the network now and specifically looking for him um, and just seeing all the things that he was doing. And now that I've gotten to personally talk to him a couple of times, articulate, just genuine, nice. I mean, just... Everything outside of what his persona is, we had you wouldn't a great think comment. Fonzie and articulate. No way, but this <laughs> this guy is legitimately a sweetheart. And I was watching his stuff on the network, and he's everywhere, mm-hmm. like WCW, ECW, early '80s WWF. I mean, and he, I hate to use this phrase, but it's like the New England Patriots, man. Like he is creme de la creme. And it's just like, man, you, you have somebody who has so much experience and wrestlers are, you know, lucky to get somebody like that in the ring with them who can help them out in that way. So, yeah, good dude all the way around. Really great that I've gotten a chance to get to know him. But, uh, wow, they don't make them like that. They don't make them like that. Fonzie was the first guy, quote unquote, I ever met in the business that, that was I was just a fan. The WWF was running the Nassau Coliseum, and right across the parking lot they had the Marriott, and that's where everybody would go. Let the guys would stay, things like that. So we would go there, and you'd, you'd see the they closed the bar out, so unless you were one of the boys or you know you had the approval to get in, you couldn't get in. So we were just hanging out in the lobby, and I remember Ultimate Warrior came in. He signed a couple autographs. He wasn't bad, but then Fonzie came in, and he started talking to us, and there was there was a young kid there, and he went, hold on, and he went up to his room. And got one of those like Ultimate Warrior jackets or, or like a, a crew jacket for WWF that he had. He gave that the kid a jacket, and Vonzi talked to us for like maybe like an hour and a half, just hung out with us and just talked about because we were trying to get into the business. This might have been '92, maybe. Whenever Warrior was doing his program with Ric Flair, before '92, '92. Yeah, yeah, so, so it was '92, and it was just you know at that point. Yeah, 175 pounds was not getting in the wrestling business. You know what I mean? But Fonzie took the time for like an hour and a half and just talked to us. He gave me his address, his phone number. He was just cool as shit, you know? And okay. then. Well, God bless him. <laughs> when, I, when I saw him, when I met him again in ECW, this was probably 90, late 95, maybe? 96? Couldn't tell you the exact year. He came in in 95. 95. I said, Fonzie, I met you at the Nassau Coliseum. He goes, that was the night I gave that kid my jacket, Daddy. And I went, <laughs> holy fuck like it wasn't like i was working at the time or like hey i'm you know i'm gonna make it or anything he just fucking remembered that he met me three years ago at the at the, the bar at the marion and he wow. gave this kid his jacket he remembered it that's awfully so, nice of him that is you know you kind of get the you know when you meet people you're like oh yeah how you doing buddy good to see you again and you're like i don't remember meeting this person what? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that when I met him in ECW, and I met him every night for a half a year, he couldn't tell you my name. He was high oh, as a kite. <laughs> that did happen. Oh, I, I, I didn't give a fuck. I didn't care. You know, I'm like, hey, you know, always, hey, I'm Danny, you know. But he's always cool, you know what I mean? Always, always polite. That was, yeah. that was the one thing about the ECW guys I've noticed is we tried to treat everybody pretty cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Unless you came in acting like a douche. 
I mean, you come in, just hang out with everybody, and it was right. We tried to make everybody fit in as 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 much as we could, as uncomfortable as newbies were going to feel. You know, <laughs> yeah. I know exactly how that feels. Because when I first started, I hadn't even had one match, and I'm in a locker room with Terry Funk and Road Warrior Hawk and Kevin Sullivan, and I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> this is fucking intimidating as all hell. So you have your time in ECW, and then obviously going down the uh, the timeline here, at what point did you start to think about, you know what, I'd really like to go ahead and get into you know, a promotion and being a part of a promotion, whether it be running it, owning it, whatever. When did those thoughts start to come through your mind? Uh, didn't happen until five years later, because after after it went under, I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to wrestle because that's what I wanted to do anyway. So um, it didn't happen until I started training my kids and I wanted to give them a place to work. So I bought my own company. You know, as, as much as you can buy a ring and whatever, you know, uh, guardrails, whatever it may be. And that was the initial structure for AAW was just a place for my students to work. When did you start training kids? Oh, four. When did you say to yourself, I'm qualified to train kids? I, I wasn't at the time. Um, <laughs> it was. <laughs> I was uh, the same way. I, I tell you, uh, the guys who run Black and the Brave, which is Seth Rollins and Merrick Brave. They came up to me on a show in 04, and I, I just main event and I couldn't tell you. It was in Iowa, and they're like, hey, I heard that you help guys, you know, help them train or whatever. And I was just helping a friend. I'd go to a school every now and then and just help them out. And I said, yeah, I do that. They're like, will you be interested in training us? I said, uh, okay. And then there it went. So 04, my first four students, two of them were – uh, Seth Rollins and Merrick Brave and two other kids that eventually dropped out. Wow. So the early days of AAW, obviously you guys did a lot of things uh, in, in Berwyn, Illinois, the yep. Berwyn Eagles Club, and then obviously also on uh, Bourbon Street in Marionette Park. Is that correct? Correct. And then you guys went ahead, then moved over to the Logan Square Auditorium. I believe that's where you guys do a lot of your stuff right now. Yeah, yeah, we uh we run there uh, probably eight to ten times a year. Nice. And then we run. I, I had a falling out with Bur the Berwyn venue. So we just did uh, Bourbon Street and Logan Square. And then other other towns, too. We, you know, we've done Austin, Texas three or four times. We've done Milwaukee, Iowa, another venue in Illinois. So we tried branching out. You guys have a laundry list of who's 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 come through AAW, and it's incredible. I mean, you guys have really put your stamp on the world of professional wrestling. Would you have ever imagined that AAW would be where it is today in 2020? Uh, I, I wanted it to be there earlier because I, I always thought I knew how to run a wrestling show, and I always thought I could help guys. It The first five or seven years were a struggle. You know, you, you, you were fighting to get. 250 to 300 people fighting and when the economy dipped in 08 the houses went down to 150 you know we we couldn't draw anything and then come 2012 we're selling out 400 people 500 people 900 people you know then every every show was a sellout we doubled our tickets so we used to have 15 and 12 dollar tickets now we're doing 60 50 and 40 and selling out every time Wow. So, yeah, we were awesome. uh, very lucky. Uh, we just we brought in the right talent. And another well, thing is, like, every well, time we feature talent, 
Not they got signed. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Terrible. they left. They left within a year, so they were all getting signed to whoever, and then it became the place to be in the Midwest. It's like, hey, you work there. People are looking at you, and you're moving on. So th- we got that track record. It's go watch AEW to go watch the stars of the future, whatever it may be. It's the best worst problem to have. Absolutely. I remember I was talking to uh, Trent Zaberry, and he eats, sleeps, and breathes AAW, and such a great dude as well. I mean, just as a person. How's his um, wife? Is there an update on his wife? Uh, it, his girlfriend is doing great. Girlfriend. Yes, cool. she's awesome. doing great. I believe she uh, is back to work as well. So special shout out to her for, man, kicking its ass and uh, kicking it out. She would. I don't even know her, but just I could just she tell. Is- She's our she, wrestling. She she's our wrestling time. nurse. Man, I tell you what, it is crazy, and I'm I'm gonna kind of get into the the COVID situation, which I know is a is a tough situation to talk about. But so what I was saying before is it's a who's who of people who've come through the promotion. So really, you will go ahead and cut your teeth in AAW. I mean, that's a calling card for I'm ready. You know, by the time you leave AAW, I believe the statistic is something in the extent of like what forty people. Now yeah. or on main yeah. rosters or 50 people with between uh, WWE and Impact and everywhere else. It's like that's huge. If you did if you included Impact, it's well over 60. That's incredible. Yeah. With WWE, AEW, everything. Yeah. I mean, that's it's one of those situations where I'm sure you as an owner and a trainer and somebody who's went up and down the roads, you look at this and you go, damn, I've carved out a pretty successful career for myself in this business. I, you know what? I, I'm proud of it. I, I really am. And again, like, I'm just a fucking, I'm just a mark. You know, I was a kid going to all the shows, and all I wanted to do was contribute or be involved. And for me to actually help people along with their journey or along the way, it, it means the world to me. So fast forward, here we are in 2020. It's a shit show. I'll be the one who says it. Oh, yeah. Um. Before all of this had happened, I mean, you guys obviously had to have great plans for what you wanted to do. And what's that like when you realize, God, we we have to shut this thing down. This sucks. Um, the plans that we had are going to have to be put on hold for right now. What's what's the mentality going into a situation like that when you realize, you know what, we got to go back to the drawing board? Yeah, we just bought brand new cameras. We spent five grand on cameras. Uh, we spent seven grand to live stream on all this uh, equipment. And uh, we're, we're sitting here with our dick in our hand now. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that, I mean, that was the plan was to live stream in-house and do our own thing. And now, you know, we're not getting any return on that investment. So it's tough. It, it's tough to, you know, we're a company that we like to tell stories and, keep people coming back and now the fear is that when it, how is it going to be when it does come back are people going to remember are people going to care are people going to want to come out you you don't you have no idea what's going to happen what what pro wrestling or any entertainment business or sporting event is going to be like and when everything ha- returns well the one thing that i keep thinking about is it will come back and i think people are going to be more fervent and excited than ever before because I think – in this this sounds cliche. This sounds corny, but absence makes the heart grow fonder in a way, and I, I think people it, yeah. are jonesing right now to get out there and get back to life and have fun and go to AEW events and 
sit with people they know and have fun and cheer on their favorite superstar. So it's going to come back. It's absolutely going to come back, and I think it's going to be bigger than ever. I think you're going to have a big boom in wrestling once this thing uh, all subsides. Here's my my um, my trepidation on it is so. What I thought a wrestling company should be is ECW. I, an indie company should be ECW. They got a building that they can jam a thousand, a fifteen hundred people on top of each other, and the atmosphere fucking made it. So, are you going to want to go to a venue where there's six hundred people on top of each other where you can't move? Are you going to be okay going to a venue that way? I don't know. Well, I, I guess it all kind of depends on how things shake out. How has right. What's your opinion on how the way Chicago has handled things? I mean, do you feel like they're they're handling it well? Do you have confidence in the fact that, you know what, rest assured, things are going to get back to normal, things are going to get better, specifically for your line of business? I don't know. Like, we have – we're coming up on 100,000 people that are infected, and I know that's nothing compared to the East Coast, you know, with New York and New Jersey or anything. But as far as the Midwest, I think we're the third or fourth most infected state in the country you know what is it going to be at first i'm sure it's going to be okay you can only allow 50 people in there and then maybe 100 when is it going to get to the point where you can have 500 in there i don't know what's your take on the the companies that are still doing their live shows meaning you know impact wrestling is still obviously taping they're doing empty arenas wwe aew um you know right now i believe mlw and is it nwa right now have just kind of temporarily uh are on hiatus right now but do you agree with the empty arena shows or do you think you know what everybody should just kind of cool their jets until things get better well i I think at the end of the day it depends on the tv contracts that's why they're doing it i'm sure you know if they don't produce content they don't get paid so and and they have payroll to match and i I understand why they're doing it and the reason why, but I can't watch it. And again, I I cannot watch a show where it's just wrestlers going out there. It feels like watching practice to me. It's just, it's not for me. I you know I haven't wa- I didn't watch WrestleMania. And again, I, I can remember watching WrestleMania two when I was old enough to when I got into it and and going on. You know, this is the first WrestleMania I haven't watched. You know, I just can't. It it doesn't feel right to me. But I, I get why they're doing it. It's just it's not interesting to me. It was painful. Yeah, and, and I feel like it's going to be the same way because I'm a huge baseball fan. I feel it's going to be the same way just watching people play baseball without fans. If they get to that point, it's going to be like, oh, you're watching a practice game. See, I understand them doing Raw, SmackDown for TV. I get it. But there was no reason to do WrestleMania. Oh, I agree. They, they could have held that off. And they're not making the pay-per-view money anymore. You know, you could just no. put anything on the network and keep – you didn't need to do WrestleMania there in front of nobody. It it meant nothing. And why would you give up that gate? You know, I, what do they make on the gate? $10, 15000000 million? Why would you give that gate away? Well, the other thing you got to think about here too is – and I know this this might not play into the, the business equation of everything, but what about guys like Drew McIntyre who – you know, you're told you're going to get the big push. You're going to win the championship. And, you, man, I'm going to win the WWE championship at WrestleMania. I like anybody who got into the business. That's got to be the biggest wet dream there is. And right. then to find out there's a fucking pandemic and it's going to be in front of literally no one. Like, in in my opinion, on a completely selfish standpoint, that's a kick in the nuts. Like, oh, that should absolutely. have been that should have been that man's 
biggest moment in yeah. his career. It should have been a moment where his family was there, his friends were there, his wife, everything, and it take the pictures and just all that shit, and he gets fucked. Yeah. Like I, and, and I'm not saying just him. Everybody got screwed who was on the card. But you know what I mean, though. When the WWE Championship, that's a big damn deal, you know. But I don't know. I agree. Where like, and I I didn't watch it, but they just had Money in the Bank. Are you gonna sit there and and I don't know if they're doing crash pads or how they're filming it, but are you gonna sit there and fall off a ladder in front of nobody? Where are you get where are you getting that adrenaline from? Well. And, and Mikey, you and I have talked about this as well, and, and you kind of mentioned at the top of the show, so much of this is reaction-based. Right. This is a reaction-based form of entertainment. This is just like you are on stage, and you are performing, and you're projecting yourself, and you're running off the emotion of the audience. And now there is no audience. You basically have a cameraman and uh, maybe two cameramen, and then the commentators, who I guarantee that's got to be awkward – for the guys to work and hear the play-by-play. I, I just, I don't know. To me, that feels like that would be weird. Uh, yeah, or I'm sorry, Mikey, but again, going back to like wrestling, wrestling is based on emotion. Everything is about getting the reaction from the crowd, how you how you book it, how the show flows. And to not have that in there, it's just, to me, it's weird. It's funny because during this episode here, I just got a message on my phone. I think you'll both find this interesting here. Uh, Bruce Springsteen is going to be holding an event at Fenway Park, a concert with no one. Ah, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. Let's let that soak in for a second. Who? It could have been an amazing show, huge show, in front of thousands of people, and there's no one. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's there's all different ways to look at this, and I know you guys have been affected as well. And you guys have been running an amazing uh, campaign that on social media. So tell a little bit about what's going on with your with your online promotion. Uh, well, my partner has my partner Mike Pekovich. He does all that, and our crew, you know, Trent and Polish Rob, who does all our videos, and our guy Dr. Keith. They've pretty much been out there just plugging us away putting out free content, putting out whole shows on YouTube, uh, doing live streaming, recapping their favorite matches, just getting the word out there, doing as much as we can to stay relevant and keep the AEW name out there. They're doing great. It is Fight for the Fallen, and if you guys want to go on to Twitter, I have posted this, and I'm going to post this uh, again here. But basically what Fight for the Fallen is is they're trying to get people to contribute some money to help out the guys and gals who are really not making any money. You know, Like you know, like Mikey said before and I said before and Jerry and, and obviously you, Danny, some of these guys, if they don't have a full-time job that's on the side – this is what their bread and butter is. This is what pays their rent. This is what pays their gas, their food. So I think Fight for the Fallen is an awesome thing that you guys have set up. So how did that all kind of come about? I uh, just like you said, a lot of the guys that's what they do for a living. It's different now. Most of these guys are making good paydays. Not not good paydays that they're they're ha- they have a they're financially set, but good enough where they don't have to have a Monday through Friday job. So when this goes away, you have no way to pay your bills. And as independent contractors, it's very difficult to get unemployment. So really, when this ended, these guys were left with nothing. So we put it out there, the donation system, to try to get something. If we can give them a couple bucks in their pocket to help them pay a bill, that's, you know, that that means a lot to us that, you know, we're at least trying to help them because they've helped us along the way as well. 
No, I agree with you 100%. And if you guys have not done this yet, trust me, AAW has amazing content. Go to their YouTube page. All you got to do is click the subscribe button. They've got pay-per-view quality matches on here, and it is so good. I literally sat down one night, and I watched four or five shows, and it was awesome. Um, I love the fact that technology today, especially with social media, you have your own network basically. You have your own version of the WWE network when you have yourself like a YouTube account, and you can show these great, great matches. So, um, yeah, my hat's off to your your entire production crew. I think they've done a, an outstanding job with that. Yeah, they're very talented. We're doing we're doing stuff that a lot of other groups in the country aren't doing. We have great matches, great storytelling, and our production is top notch. We've invested a lot into that, uh, hired the right people to do it for us. And, you know, I, I feel like we're firing on all cylinders right now as far as production wise. Dude, it is awesome. Like I said before, guys, go on over to Twitter. You can follow them at AAW Wrestling. Once again, that's at AAW Pro. Go over to their YouTube page. I'm going to make sure after we get done with this episode, I'm going to post some of that stuff. Check it out because you know, you want to watch good wrestling, you tired of WWE or you tired of this empty arena stuff, watch their stuff. It is good. And share it with your friends on social media as well, because the more we can share the word, spread the word about good wrestling. And that's the funny thing, because a lot of people are wrestling fans, but sometimes people just don't know what else is out there. Right. And if you don't like our stuff, hell, go watch uh, old Saturday night's main events on YouTube. I've done that lately. Before before we let you go, I would I want to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you three questions here, okay? Go for oh, it. here we First, go. What do you mean here we go? Well, these have the potential to be really fucked up questions. They're not going to be fucked up questions. Okay. All right. Right. You ready for your first question? What was the first wrestling event that you watched on TV or that you saw that got you hooked? I went to the old AWA shows at the old Chicago Amphitheater in 1982, and that was Hogan, Bockwinkle, whatever. I was going with my dad back then, but that didn't get me hooked. What got me hooked was uh, rock and wrestling. It was on MTV right when MTV kicked off, and I started watching in 84. They had the special on 84, and after that, I got hooked. Nice. Do you have a favorite uh, favorite wrestler of all time? Macho Man as a kid, yeah. Love yeah. Him. Nice. Mikey also is a Macho Man fan as well. Um, you know, I stopped watching and I was a huge fucking fan and I was so into the macho when he finally got the belt and he's a baby face, but I felt that Hogan was overshadowing him. Hogan beats him at mania five. I stopped watching wrestling altogether for a year and a half. I couldn't take it anymore. I was so fucking anti and I loved wrestling. I mean, I went to all the shows, fucking VHS tapes, magazines, the whole shebang. I just couldn't take any more Hulk Hogan at the time. (laughs) 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 <laughs> then I eventually, you know, and Macho was my guy. So then a year and a half later, I finally got back into it. And, you know, it it just took over my life after I got back into it. When Savage was, he was doing a program with, I think he was, he was working Steamboat. Mm-hmm. Or he just beat up Ricky Steamboat. And they were kind of tying into that somehow. And Bruno San Martino was there. And San Martino just attacks him in the back. So it's like trying to choke him out. Like, holy shit, Bruno Sermakino just tried to big out Randy Savage. It's fucked up. <laughs> that crazy old bastard. <laughs> well, I think they came back and did that. Uh, I I believe they did the singles match at the Garden at uh, MSG, and they came back and did a tag match at Boston Garden. I could be wrong. It could be flip-flop. but No, they did. It was the Adonis one. It was Adonis and Macho. Against uh, Bruno and. Fuck, I don't remember. Was it Tito? I, yeah, it was Tito. Yeah. 
that was the first time I saw somebody gig. If you go back and watch that tape, Bruno's got Savage by the back of the head, and he's going to run Savage's head into the into the fence, right right up to the hard camera. Uh huh. And you see Savage as he's running, he takes the blade to his head, and Savage is taking his head left and right, left and right, left and right, like like running? a fucking madman as he's running. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, holy! So it wasn't Savage was not taking the blade really? He was fucking moving his head against the blade. It's like, uh, holy fuck. Wow. That and another good one, I think it might have been Boston Garden as well, was Roddy Piper. And Macho? I don't think it was Macho. It was Piper and somebody. But Piper took the blade, as he's before he's going to the fence, takes the blade all the way by like his left temple and just rakes it across his entire fucking head. Uh, I'm like, oh! Right in front of everybody. Just like, huh. what? I can see if I can find it, and I'll, I'll pop it on Twitter. But you know, that, the, but the Savage be, one was the first time I was like, "Holy shit, that's fucking sick." There used to be old stories about Bobby Heenan. He would take these ridiculous fucking bumps off the. A guy would hit him with a big uppercut. When he did that twirling fucking bump, he used to be able to fucking gig himself doing the twirly bump. Wow. He yeah. Said he, I'm, he said he got that from Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens would be running again into the corner. Take the blade out of his mouth, do the flippy dippy flare up into the corner, smack his head into the ring post, gig himself on the way down. As he's flipping down back around, put the blade back in his mouth, turn around, full of blood. <laughs> that's talent. <laughs> like, wow, that's that's impressive shit. I I remember the first time I got color, it was on fucking and quick story, it was on pay per view at the November to remember, and it was with New Jack. And I was oh, so shit. I was so fucking terrified because the whole aura of New Jack. And they asked me, they're like, can you get color? I said, I, I never have, but I will. New Jack comes to me in the back. He's like, hey, kid, you're going to get color? I said, yeah, I'm going to get color. He goes, you better because I'll do it for you. I'm like, oh, my oh. God. I oh, just my. fucking I pissed myself <laughs> right there. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. New Jack. Um, holy cow. Could have ended badly. A <laughs> little bit. Holy shit. I mean, with him and Vic Grimes and everything that he did was, was so... Shit Grimes. Oh. It, was all, it was always very believable. I will give him that. But it was always very scary. Like, I was oh terrified. Oh, my God. I was fucking terrified. Because my gimmick there was to get beat up every fucking night, whoever it may be. And I was terrified of the balls of Mahoney chair shot and getting mauled mm-hmm. by new Jack. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I would pray every day, please do not let me fucking get involved with those two. Wow. Mikey, didn't you say you wrote in your contract that you did not want to take a chair shot from balls Mahoney? Yeah. When I came back from WCW, no, it was in my no, contract. You, no, you didn't. Yes. It was in my contract. No chair shot from balls. You fucking told them I will not do this. Yeah. I said, Paul, I've had so many concussions. I'm not getting hit in the fucking head with that fucking chair. He goes, okay, won't have to. I said, put it in my contract. He goes, I will. And fuck, he did. Really? Yep. Is that like a first (laughs) that somebody put, I will not take this move in a contract? (laughs) It might have been. And I never took it. Did they ever approach you to take it? He mentioned at one point, and I just looked at him and said, breach. That is awesome. You know, and I, I did it mostly as like a rib. Like, I'm not fucking taking that. Oh, you know? I, it's just every night he would 
he would kill somebody. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And I'm fucking short. So I know he would have fucking crippled me. <laughs> when, when you're taking a chair shot on a chair that is not really gimmicked, and the ass part of the chair flies off, and the motherfucker's a steel chair, yeah, no, that's no. I say nay, nay. And back and back then, they didn't want you putting your hands up, so you had to like take it like a fucking man. You know what I mean? It's like, and you're just yes. praying, you're praying to God. So thank God I never had to take that. And good for you, good for you, Mikey, for putting that in your contract. And both what he would do, the one thing he did do, which was nice of him, I guess, <laughs> was he would he would take the the. I don't think he did it in ECW, but towards the end when he was doing indies, he would take the the, the back support. Mm-hmm. And he would he would put it down and he would step on it. So it wasn't sticking out. Oh, okay. So it, was, it was kind of flat with the ass. Yeah. Which, because that's the part when you get hit with a chair, that's always the part that fucking busts people open. Always. The lip of the chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, of the backrest, the back support. Always somehow hit you the back of the head, and that's what gets you. But towards, towards the end, I mean, uh, that sounds fucking morbid, doesn't it? But I, I know in the indies, he was stepping on the back, which is very neighborly of him. Still swinging for the fucking fence. <laughs> I tell people all the time, look, I don't know about this strong style bullshit, but I'll tell you what. I will fall down. And in fact, I will fall down. I will stay there until you pick me up if need be. <laughs> don't worry. You don't have to hit me hard. You don't have to worry about that. I'll fall down for you. Wow. I said, I'm fat. I'll lay down as long as possible. You don't, you don't need to rush this. <laughs> you you are terrible. But I, I do want to share this with you uh, before we let you go. I love the, uh, the just incredible Jerry Lynn match that happened in Minneapolis when Jerry won the title. And the camera was zooming in on you when New Jack was coming out. And you were doing the whole fuck you, screw you thing. Yeah, not very awesome. nice. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I came back through the curtain right there. And... and and they say how, and, and Mike, you know, like how you can get compliments from Paul and you're like, oh my God, I die for this fucking guy. So I come yeah. back through the curtain and he's the first one there and he gives me this long fucking hug. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, oh God, I would die for this guy right now. Yep. You know, it was just, he was a polarizing figure. It was just, I don't know, like y- you hear all these things about him, but it's like when you meet the guy, it's like. I don't know. You, you'll go to war for the guy. And that's just the way it was back then. My take on Paul was, you know how Paul is. You know what he is. You can choose to accept this fact and deal with it and accept him for as he is, or you cannot. And I knew how he was. So anytime he would do anything that was like, oh, my, you got to be fucking kidding me. It was one of those. Yeah, OK, that, that's fucking Paul. Right. Like it was one. Of, it it really did. At the end, it just became. Oh, okay. Cool. But I have this absurd loyalty to Paul because Paul gave me my break. So without Paul Lee, there would never. You wouldn't be talking to me. I'd be working at Kmart <laughs> as the garden shop manager. You'd you'd be the third. You'd be the third guy in there, right? I would. It'd be, yeah. yeah, I'd be <laughs> essential. Blue plate right. special. Wow. But no, I, I just wanted to make that 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 mention of that event because I thought you did an awesome job on that. Well, and I, thank you. Ever since I saw that, just with the look on your face, the way you sold it and new Jack came out. The, the I didn't place. sell it, but I was terrified. I didn't sell it. 
Well, it looked it looked damn good. So <laughs> look damn good. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, please, by all means, check out AAW. You can find them on Twitter, AAW Pro. Go ahead and follow them. You can also go ahead and follow Danny Daniels as well. Wrestling is coming back, you guys. I'm telling you right now. I promise you, it is coming back. Uh, real, real quick, guys. Uh, I'm very passionate about the product we put out. We're not here to, yeah, it's pro wrestling and it's all bullshit. I get it, but our our theory is emotion, passion, grudges, goals. We're not going to insult you. This isn't a fucking a promotion where you're just gonna. We're not here for the ha-has. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody's goal-driven, passionate. There's emotion. You know that's what drives pro wrestling. It's not. It's not the moves. Yeah, all the guys do a million cool fucking moves, but it's it's the whole package. And if you've never, if you're turned off by WWE or what they have or whatever you watch and you're turned off by it, give something else a shot. Give AAW a shot. It's gritty. It's in your face. It's believable. It's emotional. Uh, just give something else a shot. If you've never checked it out, we have our own AEW on demand. You know, we're, we have our whole library on there along with progress, defy all our, all other cool promoters or promotions around there as well. Just, I'm just plugging our own shit. No, I'm with you hundred percent. Plug, plug everything here. And also, um, fight for the fallen as well. You guys, please, if you guys can do anything, you know, and I know times are crazy, even a couple of bucks, man. It's going to help the people that bust their ass each and every night to entertain you and to show your appreciation. Uh, Pro Wrestling Tees, I'm sure a lot of your guys have shirts over at Pro Wrestling yeah. Tees. Support them. Support AAW, guys, because I can tell you right now, I endorse it. Jerry endorses it. Mikey endorses it 100%. Awesome, awesome product. Thank you. Indeed. I tell you what, is there any chance we could uh, twist your arm to come back again and, and have some fun and tell some more stories? Anytime, guys. Anytime. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Danny. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, bud. Bye. All right. That is Danny Daniels, the owner of AAW Pro Wrestling and former ECW uh, alum. It's It's always good to have ECW people on the show. Always good. And it's neat to hear people's opinions of the promotion, what it was like interacting with Paul. Um, and just the fact that when Danny was talking about the, the realism of everything, you know, that was true. And I, I said this a few episodes ago, it was like fight club before fight club was a thing. Like I knew people who went to the ECW arena and they were like, shit gets crazy. And it was like, you would never hear that at a WWE event. You would never hear about that at WCW. And I think that was one of the appealing aspects. So that was so cool that Danny got to be a part of that, and he got to come on the show this week. Why the fuck did you uh, you, you fucking no-sold me on uh, – you, you're going to have to give me a little bit of something before we uh, we leave this week. What? You're going to have to give me a character. Give me a character, man. I've had a long day. I need some character. You've had a long day. I've had a fucking long day. Yeah, but you're the talented one here. I'm just the host. People are here to hear you. They don't give three shits about me. Why not? Well, because at the end of the day, you have amazing stories. You have experiences. I don't know about that. I've uh, I've been planting flowers. I've been taking uh, the Jerry Lynn uh, outdoor landscaping courses that uh, hopefully he's going to be putting them on DVD soon. So I've been planting flowers. I've been shrubs. My wife Jerry and Bob Vila. 
a bird feeder. He is. He, that's his next career. The Victory Garden. My grandmother loved that show. It's a damn good show. Damn good show. So before we say goodbye, anything else on your mind? Anything you'd like to talk about? Anything like that? What the hell are you eating over there, by the way? What what was that? Was that a donut? What was that? You. <laughs> that was a donut. I had a feeling it was probably a donut. At one point, I had to mute myself. I started fucking choking on it. It wouldn't surprise me. Good God. But I've been, I've been drinking this. I see that. Hold on. Hold it. Sweet, sweet water. Sweet water. Sweet water. 420 strain. Mango crush wheat ale. Nice. I got, uh, as you know, I've been going absolutely batshit crazy. I know you have been. In my house since March 16th. Uh-huh. And Big Daddy Beardo stopped by today. Love Big Daddy Beardo. What's going on with him? Stopped by with his lovely wife, Crystal. Yeah. And she dropped off some wine for my wife. Gosh. And, uh, what a good dude. Beardo dropped off, surprised me with some mango kush wheat ale. Man. Sweetwater Brewing Company. So what's your what's your review on that ale? It's fuck, it, well, it's gone. <laughs> Enough said. It, it was even delicious anymore. It was absolutely delicious. So. And where would you get something like that? Uh, <laughs> if someone said, "Hey, you know what? I'd like to get some of that." Where would you go to pick something like that up? We well, call Barry Wyndham. You go down to Sweetwater, Texas. <laughs> uh, would you go to a Kroger? Would you? Where would you no, go? You can go that? to Kroger. You can go. You can go to a Giant. Which I guess is the Pennsylvania equivalent, Kroger. <laughs> um, or you go to your your uh, local beer distributor. Nice. Big shout out to Dunbar's. That's our local beer distributor here. Did I just eat beer distributor? You that's did. That's around the season. That's the, that's the day would, after Thanksgiving. I was just about to say, how many of those have you had? Because folks who can't see this, he's got the – we do the whole thing via Skype so we can see each other. And he's got the Blues Clues background here. Jesus, H on the stick. I, I never thought. Of Good God. How many beers have you had since we've been doing this show? What, have you past three years? Or no, just tonight? no, just tonight. Just tonight. Uh, I've had, uh, well, let's see. We had to take uh, ball liquor to get weighed because he had to get his heartworm and flea and tick medicine. Okay. Uh, he weighs fucking 79 pounds. He's a big boy. Jesus Christ, yeah. Wow. And he's not even around. He's over there. Oh, he is? Yeah, he's looking at me. Like, what are you looking at, Dick? (laughs) (laughs) He he heard you calling him ball liquor. He's like, oh, God. That's his name. BL. (laughs) (laughs) Shorten it to BL. So, no, we, we did that, and we came home. Uh... And then I I grilled some barbecue chick, chicken. Nice. Barbecue chicken and bacon. <laughs> but we had we had the uh, I had some of those uh, iced tea gimmicks. Those uh, I was having it the other night. What the hell was it? You mean twisted tea? Twisted tea. Nice. But they had the half and half twisted tea. The lemonade. The Arnold Palmer. Yeah. But it's twisted tea. It's cheaper that way. You don't got to pay Arnold Palmer or anything. Is he dead? Oh he... Moving on. Not yeah. me. I'm not. I am not even addressing this issue. So I had about four of those. Okay. Uh, took a little bit of a break. 
And two cores lights. Two cores lights. Uh, and then I had some other fucking beer that that Biro brought over. And now this thing. Wow. Look at you. You still got good friends in a pandemic. Beardo and his wife bringing wine and beer over to you. Now, let me ask you this. Are you going to repay the favor? Are you going to go ahead and stop over at Beardo's house and drop him off something? Like, hey, man, just want to. A Friday is coming. The <laughs> quarantine is over. Okay. So I assume you'll probably get with Beardo at that point and show your appreciation. I'm going to be like that. Uh, the, the kid that goes out for the first time in high school. <laughs> has a couple Shit. of drinks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I hope there's a camera. Fantastic. Well, did you see – real quick here. Did you see that um, – I want to say it's uh, it's Kitchen Sink, Fossetti. Okay? Did you see yeah, what he posted? Kitchen Fawcett. No. Yeah, K- Kitchen Fawcett. Did you see what he posted today? I did not. You need to hop on your damn Twitter. What are you right, doing? Hop on your Twitter. He went ahead and he tagged us all. I thought first, this was – First of all, I, I made the mistake yeah. of following all these fucking people. Oh geez, when I apologize I, ahead of time, people. When oh. I first when I first started this Twitter thing. Yeah. So I follow seven thousand seven hundred and forty two people. Okay. Of which I converse with maybe three. <laughs> so when I have my list, mm-hmm. I see something. Right. And I scroll a little bit. And then my screen refreshes. And I gotta scroll down like this. For about six minutes trying to find what the fuck I was looking at before. <laughs> so oh, God. It's impossible to. It's impossible to fucking do anything on here. You are a trip. I swear to God. You are you are something else, my friend. So you know what? Why you're looking, okay? I don't want you to get carpal tunnel in your hand. Kitchen uh, false. Yes. It, it's a video and it is. It's, it's a video. Hysterical. It's a video. You, can I play the – do you want to play the audio on it? It's fantastic. We'll have to fucking find it first. I think it's going to sound better on your – Not the Chad Brzezinski guy. No, 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 no. Thomas he, Falsetti. He had the Dr. Now clip. <laughs> <laughs> I love when people do this. This It just – it makes my day. This, 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 this definitely reminds me of me and Jerry. In fact, I may have to redo this with Dr. Now with Jerry's face over it. Yeah. And then me playing the part of this big fat fuck. <laughs> Which, at this point in day in the quarantine, not that far of a stretch. Oh, stop it. Jeez, oh, hold on, hold on. I'm going I'm to play this here. This is okay. great. Throw up constantly. I eat when I can keep down. That's how it works. You throw up constantly because the surgery forces you to when you overeat now. I think my problem is, is I'm holding a lot of fluid. I can't hardly pee. Really? I, I don't I don't know what I mean you What do you mean you don't know? And yeah. you think that you're not eating and you're getting I don't want to get malnourished either. Do you look like you're malnourished? And doctor now arguing. Cause the guy gets wants to get up and leave. That's awesome. The like, problem is every time I see Doctor Now, I say, Why is he talking like Jerry? Oh that's tremendous. That's awesome. Love it. Love the Dr. Now stuff. And that that individual kept coming back. Always had a comeback. Always had something. Oh, he had he had something. Oh, it's just like, shut up. Listen to the fucking doctor. I don't when, want to be malnourished. When, when did Kitchen Fawcett post this? It was today. It was today. You're tagged in it. 
I see the one said you're giving me grief about knowing not knowing what a fucking convenience store is. Yeah, hey, hey, hey. I got news for you folks. The motherfucker had no idea what a convenience store was. No, that's bullshit. Don't even listen to that. I knew exactly what a damn convenience uh, store was. Beer, true. cigarettes, firewood, that's what you get. But I'm just saying, in the essence of what convenience is. I, I don't see that on my local program. Oh here. my god. For the Maybe I have a muted. Sweet baby. You are f- I can't even believe this. I have so much editing. God damn it. I apologize ahead of it's like I'm out with my dad in public. Here, I'm gonna go ahead well I'm gonna retweet this, okay? Right. This this guy now, hold on, I just got tweeted. This name is really fucking long. Kid Riot Booth 660 C2E2-2020. He's going to buy a beta fish this weekend. He's going to name it Mikey Whipwreck. Nice. Very cool. That's going to be get... one that's going to be one cranky fish. <laughs> it's not the incredible Mr. Limpet. It's going to be uh, a really cranky fish. Uh, should oh, name it I... Bruce. <laughs> Did you get the Did you get the tweet? Do you see no. the tweet that? I, no. Oh, oh my God! This this literally is like talking to my parents on phone. Okay, I retweeted it. If you follow me, do we? Do you even follow me? You might be muted too. <laughs> Hold on. You weren't even joking when you I just said that. There I sounded like some sincerity in your voice. I may be muted. I don't uh, see anything. Kid Riot Booth 660 space C2E2-220. 2020. No, I have no tweet. I have one with the devil, me playing with the, uh, a ring bell on fire, Greektown yeah, Wrestling, You, oh, some fat fuck from heavyweights wearing my gimmick shirt. <laughs> God damn, it looks like me. Oh, I'm dying here. All right, I just sent you the damn tweet now. Refresh your damn phone. This is ridiculous. Like, this should have been smooth. This should have been like, oh, did you see see Thomas Fossetti's tweet today? Oh, yeah, I got it right here. Sweet. What do you keep saying Fossetti? It's Fawcett. My bad. Fawcett. I think it's Fawcett. What the the fuck happened here? Hold on. It's fantastic. You got to play it. They parked on the road. Uh Uh-oh. So I'm delivering at this place in Houston, Texas, and pulled into the gate. And the guy was like, can't you read the sign? You're supposed to be parked on the road. Well, he's getting out of the truck. He's got some sort of weapon. Holy. Oh, you blonde hair. Blue eyed, no let me park inside the gate, motherfucker. Just right, And like he was going to, he was walking up towards his UPS truck. This guy pulled out of there. I have no idea what was going on, but it was like, that was serious. That's right, Brian Blair. You gotta come out of there now. I tell you to just to park the street, motherfucker. You blonde hair, blue eyed mother. That's right, that's right, number one. Yeah, number one. You say, I'll fuck your country away. Make you humble. <laughs> oh, shit. No, there's an iced tea one. There's an iced tea one. Did you get the iced tea one yet, or? No. Oh my God! Oh Jesus! Well, you got the one. I you found got this. I, I don't. I don't know what. I mean, you, <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? And you think that you're not eating, and you get me? I don't want to get malnourished either. <laughs> do you look like you're malnourished? Holy shit! <laughs> do you look like you're malnourished? All right, you know what? I okay. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna pull this up because this. This hit me on the top of the head with a chair. Okay. 
Let's see here. Uh, damn it. I can't send you anything if somebody sent me something in a DM, can I? In a direct message. Okay, I'm going to play it on my side. Tell me what if this are they is sending, to... What are they sending about me to you in a DM? Because it's fucking hysterical. Okay, let me let me find it's it. It's about me. Yes, it's about you. Why wouldn't it be about you? Everything's about you, Mikey. Well. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let me see if I'm going to glue the holes of this fucking ship together. Hey, Mikey. Hey. Sitting in Houston, Texas, next to this guy. Delivering at the same place as I am. I think he has a load of Schnapple iced tea. Raspberry iced tea. Maybe peach iced tea. Maybe he got some knee high. Maybe I should try the blue, buddy. Try the blue. <laughs> you know, I got yelled at for doing a, a stereotypical Indian impersonation. Okay. But that's... But exactly how the guy sounded it's exactly it's it's not nothing stereotypical about it right you look for something (laughs) yeah i'm looking for arizona iced tea arizona iced tea let me see (laughs) iced tea iced tea raspberry iced tea peach iced tea Hmm. you like knee high try the blue buddy try the blue (laughs) that's exactly how the guy sounded right i'm not making this up my impersonations are fucking spot on well i can tell you what Thomas Fossetti's impersonations of you impersonating someone else selling iced tea is I'm spot running. on as well. It is. That's awesome. like Bruce Pritchard doing a great Jim Cornette. This is true. But my uh, impersonation is of Bruce Pritchard doing Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette. Goddamn, motherfucker. Um, before, before. Extra we, cheese. <laughs> Sorry. God damn it. Every time I'm trying to get my shit together. You got to interrupt me. You like my artwork. Your what? My artwork. I haven't seen your artwork. I sent you the owl. What do you mean you sent me the owl? You I didn't send me anything. I sent you the picture of the owl. Yes, I did. When? Earlier. What do you mean earlier? Earlier when? The fuck can I say oh, oh, yes, you did. Okay, yes, you did. Oh, that was very nice. Congratulations. I drew something else. What the fuck? Is this show and tell? Like what? I, was, I, was, uh, I was talking to you and I felt inspired. Well, see, look at that. That's great. Can't see, Mikey. I can't see the picture. Your whole, your whole backdrop, your whole backdrop is taking it. Does it look good? It's fucking 3D. I don't, I don't see anything. Yes, you do. Look. No, literally, I'm looking at. I see your face and I see the chair. Right. From the Blues Clues. Isn't that perfect. You son of a bitch. I don't even know this. Put the paper down. Hold on. Let me let me clear the background. I'll show you what the fuck I drew. Well. That's what I was asking you. I can't see the damn picture. I'm a hot piece of ass. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, man. I like that. I... <laughs> Don't even believe you. You're a fucking mess. What? Nothing. Did you find that inspiring? Mm-hmm. Real inspiring. Made the inside brown. Uh huh. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You can put it down now. <laughs> that's that's a, 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 a double entendre right there. Mhm. Mhm. Thank you. I'm flattered. Look at the smile. Jesus, put it down. I see the. Oh, Jesus. I thought you'd like that. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Like fucking Bob Ross went to a frat house. I do want to say uh, shout out to Mike Cook. Uh, he's at one Mike unit. 
Um, he's got the Mike World Order. Awesome dude. I've talked to him many times before. He's got a podcast as well. I'm going to go ahead and uh, share that on my Twitter page. Good guy. So just want to do a little shout out. Hi, Mike. Yes. Good dude. Mike Union. Mike. <laughs> This needs to end really quickly. This you need to get yes, real fucking quick. Oh, excuse me. Beardo should have brought you something else other than beer. Oh my god. Uh, well, all right. Well, this I believe four twenty strain. <laughs> Where's Jerry? Yeah, yeah. He never even texted me back. I said, "Hey, Jerry." He told you. Yeah, he t- I don't know if he's pissed at me or something. Who knows? But, all right. That's going to do it for That's another it? episode. Yes. Well, you, you, you fucked my opening, so at least... No, you fucked your opening. I just pointed no, it out. No, I did not. I had a great opening. It and then sucked. you're like, clear your throat. We got leave, a guest on. Leave them both in. Mm-hmm. I'm, oh, I'm not taking shit out. Okay, are you good. kidding me? These are good vocals right here. You don't find this anywhere. I'm like a male version of Celine Dion. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week of Front Row Material. We do appreciate all your support. If you would like to follow us on social media, we would appreciate that. You can follow me at Mike Freeland, all one word together. You can follow Mikey Whipwreck at Mikey Whipwreck underscore and follow Jerry Lynn at It's Jerry Lynn. You can follow the podcast at FRM Podcast. So we are on the end of I might just mute you. You are fucking already do, evidently, because you don't get any of my shit. So how's that any different? <laughs> yeah, might just, yeah, right. Hey, folks, let me I, tell you something right here. Let me tell you something. I don't, I don't mute Foster, though, which is the ironic part. If you, enjoy what, his... if you enjoy what we're doing, go ahead and go oh, to Oh, Ben followed me. And uh, leave us a review. We'd appreciate that. Shout out to that. Falcon Stallion. Falcon Stallion. Falcon Stallion. That bird's got a big dick, I bet. Did I ever tell you about Falcon Steam? No, you have it. You got you. Something's going on with you right now. There's like, like something's happening with inside your body. I can't quite tell what it is, but something's happening. I'm witnessing it. <laughs> Should I call the police for a wellness check? What? What? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm perfectly fine. That is the biggest load of horseshit I've ever heard. <laughs> perfectly fine. You're not even a quarter percent fine. Remind me next week. Yeah. Oh, what the fuck just happened? Guys, he's playing with his headset right now. I'd like to thank Big Daddy Beardo for getting him shit-faced before this week's show. Thanks, Beardo. Appreciate that. Is that why he texted me and told me, what time are you recording tonight? Did he know you were going to be fucking eight sheets to the wind before we started? I was going to invite him on. Why didn't you? I did. He said, not if you're going to be on. I said, well, we're kind of stuck on it. Who, you referring to me or you? What? Who? You think you you think you can do my job? You think you can do my job? Get the hell out of here. BL can do your job. If you like what we're doing, please go on over to iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's gonna do it. We'll catch you next week on Front Row Material. Oh, fuck.
fuck? So quiet. <coughs> Professional. <laughs> the world of NLW radio never stops. 